Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. I'd like to thank Indeed for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. If you're using anything other than Indeed for your hiring, you are wasting your time. Hire great people faster with Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. This offer is valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Well, if you just looked at the closes, you wouldn't think much was happening in the stock markets today. All of the indexes closed with modest gains or marginal losses. But beneath the surface intraday, there was a lot of volatility going on. We did see the energy stocks, which had been um, doing well recently. They got hit. The automakers got hit pretty hard. These stocks have been on a tear lately. They've been making 52-week highs. They got hit. But the real action was to the upside, mostly, but somewhat to the downside. But the big gains in the most heavily shorted stocks. So these are the stocks where you have a lot of short interest, meaning that investors have sold these stocks short. They've sold the stocks. They don't own them. They expect the price to go down. So they borrowed the shares from people who own them. They sold them into the market and they're hoping to buy back the stock at lower prices and make a profit. Well, these stocks are going up. And if you're short a stock, you don't want it to go up, right? That's the opposite of when you're long the stock, then you want the stock to go up. You don't want it to go down because you're losing money. But when you're short, you have the opposite position. You're losing money when the stock is going up. You're making it when the stock is going down. And the shorts have been losing a lot of money, especially over the last couple of days. And, you know, there is an old saying uh, in the uh, investment game that markets could remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. And, you know, a lot of people like to remind me of that adage as if I don't know it, but it doesn't necessarily apply to me because 
I don't trade on margin. I certainly don't advise my clients to be on margin. We don't have strategies that incorporate being long options, which implies that we have to be right, but we have to be right within a particular time window. That's when the the saying has a lot of meaning because the markets can stay irrational for a long time. And if you've borrowed money and between the time that the markets start acting rationally, it's your borrowed money that bankrupts you, well, then you're insolvent before the market is rational. But that is what happens when you are short. Again, which is why we're not short, but the fact that you're getting this massive short squeeze, and the reason they call it a short squeeze is because they try to force the shorts out of their positions, and the way you exit a short position is buying. So you squeeze out the shorts and you force them to buy. Now, what happens to a stock when all the shorts are buying? Well, the price goes up, right? The short squeeze makes the price of the stock go up and that squeezes even more shorts because now they have to buy to get out of their short and now the price goes even higher. Now, of course, why would a short seller want to buy when the stock is going up? Because generally, if you've done your homework, And a lot more people do their homework when they're shorting stocks, believe it or not. I think the smart money does a lot more homework when they decide to short a stock than most people do when they buy it. I mean, people will just throw a dart and buy a stock, right? Who cares, right? Remember uh, Portnoy, it didn't matter, right? He was just pulling uh, tiles out of a bag and just Scrabble tiles and just buying whatever symbols uh, the Scrabble tiles, you know, made. You don't do that when you short a stock. People do a lot of research before they place a short bet. Because, you know, you have lots of upside. You have unlimited upside when you're short a stock. I mean, when you're long a stock, the worst case scenario is it goes to zero and you lose 100%. But you can lose a lot more than 100% when you're short a stock. So you better do your homework before you sell a stock short. And so a lot of smart people have done a lot of homework before they decide to put on a short position. They, they examine a company and they conclude, aha, the market has got this one wrong, the stock is way overpriced, and I'm going to take a short position. So let's say you short a stock at $10 a share, and the stock goes up to 20. It's doubled in price while you're short, so you're losing all this money. Now, you may be under some pressure to cover that short, because the market is going against you and your custodian is giving you a margin call. You got to put up more money to maintain that position. And the only way to get out of it is to buy back the shares that you sold at 10, but pay 20. Well, if you thought the company was overvalued at 10, it's pretty hard to bite the bullet and pay 20 to pay twice as much, knowing that the stock isn't even worth the 10 that you sold it for. And in fact, it may even be the case that the fundamentals have gotten worse from the time you shorted it at 10. That makes it even harder to buy it back at 20, uh, given what's happening. But there's a lot of stocks like this. And yesterday they had a big day. Today they had an explosive day, although a very volatile day, because most of these stocks closed way off their highs, although they were almost all still positive on the day. But the poster boy for the short squeeze over the last couple of days is GameStop Corporation. GameStop, you could have bought that stock as low as $2.57 
in April of last year. That was a low, all right? So probably didn't buy the low, but there are probably plenty of opportunities to buy that stock around $3, right? Even if you didn't grab it at the exact low, I mean, you could have bought the stock around $3, no problem. This morning, the stock hit a high of $159.18. Right? It was more than double. It was up like 125% on the day. And it's not like this company announced great news, good earnings, a takeover. There's no news. There's no fundamental difference between the outlook for GameStop as far as its viability as a company, its earnings today than there was on Friday or Thursday, yet the stock price is exploding. And that's because shorts are being forced to cover as a bunch of idiots right? Or at least they're at least wealthy idiots right now on paper, but a bunch of people who don't really give a damn what GameStop is worth. Well, they're just buying the stock anyway. And now uh, they're putting all this pressure. If you bought this stock, right? If you paid $2.57 a share, if you're the guy that did that and you still have the shares, right? You would have bought 4,000 shares of stock for about 10 grand, right? Approximately. This morning, when the stock was at $159, that or those 4,000 shares of stock would have been worth over $600,000. That's a huge gain on a $10,000 investment. But you have to think about it in reverse from the perspective of the short seller, the guy who was short 4,000 shares. And in April, right, he was short $10,000 worth of stock. This morning, he was short $600,000 worth of stock. Now, you just can't sit short $600,000 worth of stock with the same balance in your account as when the stock was at $10,000 unless you you used a tiny percentage of your portfolio short and you had a lot of excess margin in your account. But most people don't leave that big a cushion. I mean, if you short a stock at two and a half dollars. All right, maybe you can go to $5 or $10. Not that many people are going to assume, well, I better have a big enough cushion to cover this thing up to $159. This is the problem when you are short. And this is why that saying uh, came about, about markets remaining irrational longer than you could be solvent. Because this is irrational. There's no way GameStop is worth the $76.97 it closed at, let alone the $159.18 it traded at in the morning. In fact, I'm sure the shorts have done their homework and this company is probably going to go out of business. I mean, that would be my guess. I mean, I haven't done any homework on, on GameStop, but I did go to their website. And it, well, before I even went to their website, I can see the company is losing money, right? They, their, their earnings per share on a trailing basis, they're losing money, right? So the question is, they're losing money now. Are they going to make money in the future? Now, maybe there was some hope that they'll make money because of everybody's, you know, at home at COVID. And, you know, so people are staying home and they're playing more games. And so maybe this is going to benefit uh, GameStop. But if you look at their actual website, and see what their business model is. They're basically a retailer, right? They sell video games, but they also sell the consoles and other, you know, hardware, accessories, some toys, consumer electronics. They even sell clothing online. So they're an online retailer. And the first thing I think of is, okay, 
how are they going to compete with Amazon? How are they going to compete with Walmart? I mean, really, is this little GameStop selling this low margin stuff online? Are they really going to compete with these big behemoths? I doubt it. And what about the core business of video games? From what I know about video games, and I don't know too much about them, but I know that the way things are evolving, fewer people are actually buying the game. They're just downloading games, just like people don't go to the video stores anymore and 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 get a video. You know, people aren't buying, you know, going to Blockbuster because there is no Blockbuster, but people aren't buying albums or, you know, CDs anymore. They're just downloading the content. I think that's what's going on with video games. People are downloading games. Uh, other people are playing online. There are services where you pay a monthly rate, you know, kind of like a Netflix, but instead of watching movies for that monthly rate, you have access to games. So my thinking is, this business model of selling these games is probably going to die out over time and that more people are not going to buy their games from a place like GameStop. They're just going to get them directly from the content creators uh, or they're going to have they're going to pay one price to have access to a library of games. So my guess is that whatever research these short sellers did is probably accurate. The stock is probably going to go bankrupt eventually. The problem is what happens between now and then. Because in the short run, the people on Robinhood who are buying GameStop, they couldn't care less whether the company goes out of business or not. They're not even doing their homework. They're not even doing any research. They just see the stock going up, and so they want to hop on board. And they have all this stuff in these chat rooms of buy the stock. And so you have everybody just buying it without any idea about the fundamentals. The only people who actually understand the fundamentals are the guys who are short. And they're the ones that are getting killed because they're the only ones that care about the fundamentals. It's the longs who couldn't give a damn that keep on overpaying for a stock that's probably going to go bankrupt at some point. Now, one of the reasons that you have all this wild speculation, right, is the Fed's got interest rates at zero. The government's giving out all this free money. And so that is kind of the environment in which all these bubbles are inflating. But there's a big lesson to be learned here from what's happening in these stocks. And apart from this lesson, I think the fact that things are now blowing up to this extreme proportion. And I can't say that this is a blow off top in that the top is fully blown. I mean, it's possible that we can have more days like today with some big upside, although the upside was tapered uh, because GameStop, even after being up over 120%, actually went down to negative on the day and then turned around to close positive. And the gain, if you just looked at the gain of 18%, that in and of itself is a really big gain in a single day, except when you contrast it to the 125% that it was up a few hours earlier than that. So anyone who bought the stock way up there, you're already down about 50% on your purchase intraday. So this could be an inflection point in the market, you know, one of these big flashing neon uh, signs of a market top. But the other lesson that I think people can learn from this applies to Bitcoin, which I've been talking about a lot as Bitcoin has been making new highs. Because a lot of people think, hey, Peter Schiff, you're wrong 
right? Because you, you don't think Bitcoin is real money. You don't think it has any intrinsic value. You don't think it's going to work. You don't think it's going to succeed in being able to do anything that all the proponents claim it's going to do. But you're wrong because the price is going up. The price going up doesn't mean that I'm wrong. In the same way that the price of game stock going up doesn't mean that the hedge funds that have done their homework and have shorted game stock are wrong on where they ultimately believe GameStop is headed. As a matter of fact, that this one hedge fund, Melvin Capital, is a big short. And I was reading an article today where they've got like a two and a half, two and three quarter billion dollar loan from two larger hedge funds in order to stay in business because the stock has gone up so much, they don't have the money to meet the margin calls, right? And they can't call up all the hedge fund investors and say, hey, you know, you got to send in some more money so we can stay short GameStop. You know, that's not the call that they want to make to their investors. So they were able to get larger hedge funds that also happen to have stakes in this hedge fund. So they're, in a way, they're meeting their own call uh, with more capital, but they're keeping Melvin Capital in, in business. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. But I don't think they're wrong in their belief. Where they were wrong is in being short and staying short this long because obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, they could have covered their position and reshorted it at a much higher level. Of course, that's easy to say with the full benefit of hindsight. But my point is that the people who are buying GameStop, all these Robin Hood day traders, they don't know anything about the company. They don't know nearly as much about the company as the guys over at Melvin Capital who did a lot of homework and probably understand the business and the problems inherent in that business much better than the people who are now making money on paper, right? Because the people who bought that stock and now have huge gains in that stock, see, they think they're geniuses because they bought the stock and it went up and they think, you know, the guys that are short are a bunch of idiots because of all the money that they're losing. They're not idiots, they're right. It's just that they're in the minority. The vast majority of people don't give a damn, right? They're just buying it and it's going up. And if you're in the minority and and you know something that the majority doesn't know, in the short run, none of that matters. That's why being short is so dangerous. That's why Warren Buffett has said in the short run, stocks are a voting machine. In the long run, they're a weighing machine because in the long run, it's the value that gets weighed. But in the short run, it's just a popular opinion. Do people want to buy something and the price goes up? And that's exactly what's happening with Bitcoin. Also, another famous Warren Buffett expression is price is what you pay, but value is what you get, right? People are buying GameStop at crazy prices, but the value is not what they're getting. I mean, the price is not what they're getting. It's the value. They're paying a high price, but the value is the value. 
And when it comes to Bitcoin, see, if somebody buys Bitcoin at $33,000, that's the price they paid for Bitcoin. But how much value did they get? They got no value because Bitcoin doesn't have any value. You get the value, but you pay the price. The same thing if GameStop is ultimately going to go bankrupt and it doesn't have any earnings and it doesn't pay any dividends. Do you get any value when you buy the stock? No. <laughs> the price is not a reflection of value. It's just a price. That is, the market has assigned based on supply and demand. And that's what's going on with Bitcoin. The price has gone up because a lot of people don't realize that there's no value there. And so they're paying a ridiculous price simply because the price is rising. Now, I'm not short Bitcoin, right? So to me, it doesn't matter how high the price goes. It doesn't affect me. It's just a sideshow. Right? But if I was short Bitcoin the whole way up, it would be a big problem, right? Now, ultimately, would my short position pay off if Bitcoin goes to zero? Of course, but I might not be able to remain solvent enough to realize the gain because I may not be able to fund the margin calls as greater fools kept buying the stock and bidding it higher and higher and higher, right? That is the problem. Another, again, old expression is that when it comes to bubbles, the market first bankrupts all the people that bet against them and then bankrupts all the people that bet on them. Meaning if we apply that to GameStop, a lot of the shorts are going to get squeezed out of this stock with heavy, heavy losses. And the way they get squeezed out is they're buying the stock but they're buying it because the price is going up. And why is the price going up? Because other people who don't realize the stock is worthless are paying these high prices and squeezing out the shorts. So eventually all the shorts are gone, right? And now you just have a bunch of longs who have paid very, very high prices to buy the stock. Then when the shorts are gone, the stock collapses because of course the shorts represented pent-up demand, right? Everybody who shorts the stock eventually has to buy it to cover their position and to, and to square the books. But once you no longer have the shorts to buy the stock, who's going to buy it? And once the momentum goes away, of course, value investors aren't going to come around to buy these names. So initially, the people who were right and got short, they go bankrupt. Then the people who were wrong and got long, they go bankrupt second. But as the people who got short are getting bankrupted, the people who are long are laughing at them because they think they're the smart ones and they think the shorts were the fools. Well, they were actually the greatest fools. The, the shorts just timed it wrong. Their foolishness was maybe one of arrogance in thinking that they could outsmart the market or beat the market simply because they knew a stock was overpriced, right? But it's the people who bet on it that actually think it doesn't matter, that value doesn't matter, right? That, that you could just buy stocks and they're always going to go up. And the same thing is going to happen with Bitcoin. A lot of the people who think they're so smart because the price of Bitcoin has gone up a lot since they bought it, they're no smarter than the people who bought GameStop, right? They're lucky in that other people made the same mistake they did and bid the price higher. In fact, I talked on my last podcast about Michael Saylor and how Michael Saylor is going around and he's having this big conference now. He's trying to get other companies to 
you know, plug their balance sheet into Bitcoin. This is what he's saying, that you need to take some of your cash and buy Bitcoin with it. And the reason you have to do that is because Bitcoin is going up so much. So why just let your cash sit there and have inflation eroded away at 2% or 4% a year when you can supercharge your balance sheet by buying Bitcoin? Well, he may as well go out there and be telling all these corporations that they should supercharge their balance sheets by plugging into GameStop. After all, GameStop is up way more than Bitcoin this year. So if the reason that you buy Bitcoin is because it's going up, right? Because he keeps saying, well, Bitcoin is going up more than gold, right? That's why you shouldn't buy gold because it's too slow, right? Buy Bitcoin because Bitcoin is beating gold. Well, GameStop is beating Bitcoin. So if that's your logic, if you just want to buy the fastest horse in the race, well, why ignore GameStop? I mean, it's way faster than Bitcoin. It's it's lapping Bitcoin. So why don't all these corporations just pile all their money into GameStop? It makes as much sense as piling it into Bitcoin. You know, now I know Sailor would try to say, oh no, but Bitcoin is is digital gold. No, it's not. It's no more digital gold than GameStop, right? I mean, in fact, it probably has more in common with GameStop than it has in gold, although it doesn't have much in common with GameStop because GameStop is an actual business, although it's, if it's a money-losing business, then it may not have any value. And that's what it has in common uh, with Bitcoin. But it's the market dynamics that is important. You can't just say because something is going up, you should buy it. You have to understand why it's going up and is the gain sustainable? And in the case of GameStop and Bitcoin, it's not sustainable. But what I think Saylor is hoping to do is con corporate CEOs into padding their earnings. Hey, just shove some of this Bitcoin onto your balance sheet. And if other corporations buy it after you, then they're going to push up the price. And now you're going to be able to mark your paper gains to market and claim that they're actual earnings. See, that is a whole part of the the, the pyramid dynamic, the Ponzi dynamic, is the price on paper keeps going up as more people buy. But you have to buy in earlier because you need those later buyers to push up the price to make your buy you know, go up so that you look like you were prescient and you were smart and you got in early. Except I have a hard time believing that any corporate CEO who is dumb enough to gamble on Bitcoin at $30,000, $40,000 of Bitcoin, they're not getting in anywhere near the bottom. In fact, you're probably better off going with GameStop than Bitcoin. But it is a very good lesson to learn and for people to understand it just because something's going up doesn't mean it has value and it doesn't mean the people who are buying it are right now are the people who bought GameStop a month ago right if they just bought it because they thought it was going to go up because they thought the shorts were going to get squeezed yes if they get out but the people who bought it because they think it's a great long-term investment and they're going to hodl it indefinitely no they're going to get wiped out And that is what describes most of the Bitcoin buyers. They actually think it's going to work and they have no intention of selling no matter how high the price goes in the short run. If you're using anything other than Indeed to do your hiring, you are wasting a lot of your time. You can hire great people and you can do it faster with Indeed. You only pay for results and you get back that extra time in your schedule to devote to your business. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. 
Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database so you don't have to do it yourself to help show you the great candidates that you need to see instantly. So you can do your part much quicker, meeting and hiring the great people that make your organization succeed. Unlike some of the hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality short list of candidates much faster. So with Indeed, there are no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time and you only pay for what you need. With Instant Match, you see a great list of candidates instantly. That's zero weight. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined according to Talent Nest. So want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Peter. That is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. So get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Peter. Indeed.com slash Peter. This offer is valid through March 31st and terms and conditions apply. You know, also, while I am on the topic of Bitcoin, I want to talk a little bit about the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, GBTC, because I talked about this uh, fund and I talked about the premium that it was trading at over uh, its the value of its portfolio of, of Bitcoin and other crypto cryptocurrencies, crypto assets. And at one point, that premium got as high as 40%. And I talked about that on the podcast. And at the time, my forecast was that eventually the premium would go away and then turn into a discount. And that when that happened, it would be lights out for Bitcoin and there would be a major crash. Well, we may test that theory because the premium over the last several days has quickly evaporated and it's now down to about 2%. It's been trading between one and 5%. I think it closed today at about a 2% premium. Remember, that's down from a 40% premium. That is a huge decline in the premium that people are willing to pay to buy GBTC. Now, remember, the big myth behind this marketing pump is that all the institutional money is flooding into Bitcoin, and the way they're doing it is through GBTC. Well, if the premium has collapsed, what does that tell you about the demand for institutions to buy GBTC? Well, that's obviously collapsed too. But here is the more important dynamic. And I described it originally. I think I I may not have had all the facts until I read this other article. And this guy seems to have done more homework. I was just speculating. But I was thinking that Grayscale was selling the shares of Grayscale Trust into the market and getting the premium and then taking all that extra money and buying Bitcoin in the market. And that's why Grayscale is the biggest buyer of Bitcoin. Actually, it was doing it differently. Grayscale was allowing certain institutional investors to buy stock pretty much every morning at net asset value. So it was issuing new stock at net asset value and taking in the cash. And then it was using that cash to go that evening or that day. And it was going into the market and buying up Bitcoin, driving up the price. So the gain was not going directly to Grayscale because Grayscale was selling the new shares at their NAV. They were handing this huge gain to the institutions 
who were buying these shares directly from Grayscale. So that might be where the institutional demand was coming from. But it wasn't because they wanted to buy the Bitcoin. They wanted to free money because let's say the net asset value of the GBTC was uh, $20 and the share price was $30. And Grayscale says, hey, do you want these shares at $20? They're $30 in the market. A hedge fund is going to be, sure, give me that stock at $20 because I'm going to take the stock and sell it at $30 and I'm going to make $10, right? Or whatever it is. You know, if it was a, the premium wasn't 50% or 33 but it was more than 33%. Now, there was a lockup period. I think maybe six months. You can't sell the stock for six months. But let's assume you already own, right? You're a hedge fund and you buy some GBTC and you own, let's say, 1,000 shares or 10,000 shares. And Grayscale says, hey, we'll give you another 10,000 shares below the market. You can get it at NAV, but it's trading at a 30% premium, but you can't sell those shares for six months. You still take those shares and then you sell the shares that you already own that are free trading and you dump those. So what you're doing is you're averaging down the price of the shares that you already own by taking advantage of this free gift from Grayscale, but that free gift is enabling Grayscale to go into the market and buy up new Bitcoin with all the cash. And why are these institutional investors who have bought into Grayscale at at NAV, why are they able to flip it at an instant profit? Well, because you have retail investors who are just buying it, who actually do believe in Bitcoin and have been fooled by all the by all the nonsense. And so they're paying the premium. And so that spread is what was driving that institutional demand that was feeding GBTC with cash, which it could then use to buy Bitcoin in the market and keep that whole thing going. Well, now that the, the discount or the premium is basically gone, nobody is going to be lining up to buy the new shares of Grayscale when they want to issue them because there's not enough of a spread there to make any money. And so that means that Grayscale isn't getting any new deposits into its trust. Therefore, it can't keep buying Bitcoin in the market because it has no money to spend. Well, if Grayscale Bitcoin Trust has been the biggest buyer of Bitcoin on a daily basis, and now they're gone and they're not in the market, but the selling continues, absent the buying, the price is going to fall. Now, here's where it really gets ugly for Bitcoin. What happens when Grayscale Trust starts trading at a discount? What happens if it's at a 10% discount to Bitcoin? Now it's a competition with Bitcoin. Why buy Bitcoin when I can buy the Grayscale Trust and get Bitcoin 10% off, right? So now instead of fueling demand for Bitcoin, it siphons demand away from Bitcoin because money that otherwise would have been used to buy Bitcoin, instead that money buys GBTC. And so now you're taking even more demand away from Bitcoin in addition to the absence of the GBTC demand. And so now the price falls even faster. And as the price starts collapsing, the people who own GBTC, they want to get out. But they can't get out by redeeming for NAV. They have to sell into the market, which could put even more downward pressure on the price, which means the discount 
to NAV gets even bigger, and now it's a vicious circle in the other direction. So we have to watch that premium. And if I'm right, if we do slip to a discount with GBTC and we stay at a discount, then there could be a major collapse in the price of Bitcoin, which certainly would make sense uh, that we'd have a major collapse. And if we get down to 20,000, right, which would be a normal pullback, right? We, we broke out, 20,000 was the high. We broke out, we got to 40,000, you know, we pull back. Then we go to 20,000. All right, now we've retested the old highs, but then where do we go? Because a lot of people are going to be very confident that, well, you know, we're just going to go right back to 40,000. But how do you know the next 20,000 move won't be to the upside? It may be to the downside, right? So uh, there's going to be even more risk in, in Bitcoin if it goes down to 20,000, contrary to what some of these guys have been saying. They've been trying to claim that the higher the price goes, the less risky it gets. Well, the reality is the reverse. And maybe as we see a rush to dump fool's gold, we'll finally see a rush to accumulate the real thing, and that is actual gold. Uh, it makes sense to me that those two events may happen simultaneously. We'll see. But, you know, one of the things I, I wanted to mention, too, about a return to the gold standard, because I get a lot of questions about, you know, aren't all countries going to uh, suffer? Don't all these countries have paper money. And so if we went back on a gold standard, wouldn't all the countries of the world be in the same boat? And so why are you always, you know, focusing on the U.S. Uh, when no countries are currently on the gold standard? And if the world returns to a gold standard, which I believe will happen, you know, why is, you know, the U.S. the country that you're so concerned about? And there is a big difference. It's because the United States, unlike any other country in the world, we derive the most benefit from not being on the gold standard because we're on the dollar standard. And, and what that means is we could create dollars at no cost and now use those dollars to you know, pay for you know, imports. And because the dollar is the reserve currency, we don't really need to back the dollar with anything. I mean, supposedly we have some gold at Fort Knox and we do have some foreign currency reserves but they're tiny compared to the foreign currency reserves that other nations have. And other nations, to the extent that they have foreign currency reserves, and those reserves are currencies that they can't print. So they have to earn that foreign currency. So if you're you know, like a small country, let's say like New Zealand, right, and you need reserves for the New Zealand dollar, and you need dollars, or you need euros, or you need yen, the New Zealand a reserve bank can't print any of those currencies. So those currencies really have to be earned. And the way countries earn currencies that they don't print is by exporting products to the countries that, that, that issue those currencies and do print them. So you actually have to do real work. So if you're in New Zealand and you want dollars, you have to earn those dollars by exporting products to Americans who pay for those products with dollars. Well, if we went on a gold standard, that wouldn't change for New Zealand because New Zealand would have to earn gold the same way it now earns dollars. It would have to, well, it could mine the gold itself to the extent that it has any gold to mine. There's not a lot of gold in New Zealand. There's a bunch of it in Australia. They don't have that much in New Zealand, but they could try to mine some themselves or they could try to produce other goods and services 
and then export them and, and, and import gold, right? So they would have to earn their gold the same way they now earn dollars or euros. And that would be the case with all the nations that have to back up their currencies with reserves. But the United States, if the U.S. had to go to a gold standard, now the U.S. would actually need reserves uh, to back up the dollar. And it can't just print gold. If America wants gold, it either has to mine it, which means we have to incur all the costs associated with mining the gold. And first, you got to find the gold before you can even mine the gold. So there's a lot of costs associated with trying to get gold, or we could try to earn the gold that other nations have already produced by exporting products that they want. Well, right now we have huge trade deficits. You can't earn gold with deficits. You have to earn gold with surpluses. So that is a major change. If America has to go from running trade deficits because we could print money to having to run trade surpluses because we can't print gold, that is a major change. And it's going to be a major decline in the American standard of living to have to live with real money, to have to be off the dollar standard and on the gold standard. So it's the U.S. that is going to experience the greatest change if we move off the dollar standard back to a gold standard, which is the standard that we were on up until 1971. And of course, the reason we had to go off the gold standard was because we started running large deficits that were inconsistent with staying on the gold standard. And so ultimately, we had to leave the gold standard in order to run the type of deficits that a gold standard wouldn't allow. Well, that's precisely why we're going to end up going back on the gold standard, because that's the only way that we're going to stop the runaway spending and the runaway borrowing. And that's going to be the only thing that ultimately is going to reinstill confidence in the dollar. Because once the dollar really starts to collapse, and once we start to see all the money printing that's going on, and the public loses confidence, and everybody is rushing out of the dollar, how do you stop the bleeding? Well, you have to find a way to change the game and reinstill confidence. And you can only do that by going back to a gold standard. Other nations that have had big problems with their currencies have ending up have, have ended up in restoring confidence by pegging their currency to the dollar. They haven't had to go back to the gold standard. They've been able to, you know, peg and have a, you know, a fixed exchange rate with the dollar and try to let the public know, hey, you know, this is a different deal and and we're going to maintain this exchange rate. And so you can have some confidence in the currency. The United States isn't going to do that. We're not going to peg the dollar to the euro or peg it to the yen. I mean, that's not going to work. So the only thing that's going to work is going to be to repeg it to real money. But of course, you just can't do that. You know, with talk, you have to do that with action. And there's no way to do that without massive cuts in government spending, which will be a a good thing when it finally happens. But there's going to be a lot of pain before the politicians have the guts to actually do the right thing. In fact, when you think about doing the right thing, I keep hearing all of these stock market pundits out there on television talking about how the economy is going to boom in 2021 because, you know, we got the, the, the vaccines now and we've got all this pent up demand and that we're going to have this, you know, great economic growth because now everybody's going to be out there traveling and spending money. And so we're going to have this great economic boom following the the pandemic. Well, in reality, if any of these people were thinking clearly, it would be the opposite. 
I mean, what happened during the pandemic? Businesses shut down. We stopped producing stuff. And we took on a lot of debt. We borrowed all this money. And a lot of consumers, instead of uh, stopping their spending, which they should have done, were encouraged by the government to spend even more based on a lot of money that the government was doling out. So we actually only have pent up demand maybe for travel or, you know, certain types of entertainment, but Americans never stop buying junk. I mean, all the stuff that we buy from China, we our trade deficits with China are bigger than ever uh, during the pandemic, bigger than they were before the pandemic. So we certainly don't have any pent up demand for that stuff. But the fact of the matter is, We borrowed and spent trillions and trillions of dollars to try to cushion the blow of the pandemic, right? To try to ease the pain and to mitigate the recession. Assuming the pandemic is ended by the COVID vaccines, we got a big bill to pay. We have to pay back all that money that we borrowed to get us through the pandemic, which means the recovery should not be robust. It should be non-existent. We should have to spend less during this so-called recovery because we spent so much during the pandemic. We got to pay the bills. We got to pay back the money we borrowed to get us through the pandemic. That is the problem. So instead of talking about how the economy should boom because Americans are going to be spending all this money, why aren't we talking about the anemic recovery we're going to get because the government's going to have to raise everybody's taxes so that we can repay all the money that was borrowed to get us through the pandemic? Well, because nobody believes that anybody is going to have to pay the cost of any of the money we borrowed to get us through the pandemic. Well, why? I mean, where we get the money, right? Was it a gift from Santa Claus? Did it just fall down from the heavens, right? No, all that money, all that debt has to be repaid. We didn't get it for free. And if we're not going to raise taxes, if the government is not going to slash spending uh, in order to recover all the extra spending and borrowing that got us through the pandemic, then how are we going to do it? Through inflation, through a depreciation of the value of the dollar. There is no other way to do it. There is no free lunch. The government didn't suddenly invent a free lunch. We're going to pay the cost of what we did, but not just what we did during the pandemic, but everything before that, right? This is simply accelerating the day of reckoning, not just for the mistakes that we made during the pandemic, which of course were magnified by the pandemic. So the mistakes were much larger than the ones that we had been making prior to the pandemic, but we had been making mistakes for years and years and years. And now the piper needs to be paid for all of it. Now I could imagine these young Robin Hood, GameStop hodlers, you know, the way they're making fun of all the old guys who, you know, are short the stock, the you know, the hedge fund guys that did all their homework and did all their research. And so they determined that GameStop was overpriced. And so they're short. And now you have all these Robin Hooders that are making a ton of money on paper because the price of the stock keeps going up. And they're making fun of the people who uh, are short, right? Because these guys just don't get it. They don't understand. They don't understand gaming. They don't understand technology, right? They're too old. They're just a bunch of boomers. And so they don't understand. And so if, you know, if they did, they would buy. So they better have fun staying poor because, you know, they don't own the new thing, right? The stock is going to keep going up. And what emboldens them to believe that they're right is the fact that the stock has gone up. And that's what makes them so confident that the people who are short are wrong 
But in reality, when it comes to the fundamental understanding, they're the ones that are wrong. And it's the short sellers who are right, despite what's happening in the short run in the market. And that is the same thing with Bitcoin. When you get all these young guys telling me that I don't understand money, I don't understand economics, that I, I, I'm, I'm in the horse and buggy days, I don't get the new technology. I get it all. I've done my homework. I've studied it all. It's because I understand Bitcoin that I don't own it. That's why I'm so confident that it's going to collapse. The people who understand GameStop are the ones who are short. They're the ones that are right. The people that don't know anything, that don't have a clue, are the ones that are happily making money because there's a supply of fools out there who also don't understand the truth. And all they are doing is reacting to a rising price. And that is the exact same dynamic in Bitcoin. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who bought GameStop is a fool. I'm sure there's some very shrewd investors who also got in on this. And what they likely did is they determined that this stock was ripe for a short squeeze. They studied the, the market and they were speculating that something like this could happen to GameStop. And so what they did is they front ran that squeeze. They got in on the investment. They bought shares of GameStop looking for a short squeeze to generate the buying volume so that they can sell out at a profit. Now, it's also possible that some of these shrewder people who bought the stock knowing it was overpriced, but simply did it to profit from the short squeezed, themselves may have been involved in an effort to squeeze those shorts by putting out information, positive information about the company, trying to generate a catalyst to bring in some additional buying. Now, I don't know if any of this happened or not. I'm just speculating. But my point is that other people can profit from a short squeeze provided they sell. That is the key to making money on a move like this is getting out before the crash. See, that is the big difference because the vast majority of people will never get out, especially the people who don't realize it's just a short squeeze. The people who are hodling it indefinitely because they're just buying it for the long run. They actually believe in the viability of the company and they think the stock price is justified. The stock price isn't justified. It's only justified by the market dynamics at the time, which eventually will reverse. So yes, there are some shrewd people who likely got into GameStop. My guess is a lot of those shrewd people got out today, which is why the stock sold off so dramatically from the highs. But the same dynamic is likely going on with Bitcoin. There are some whales out there who are in Bitcoin solely for the purpose of selling it. And all this hype, all this positive talk about everybody else needs to ignore the FUD and just stay long and never sell. And this is digital gold and it's going to flip gold and then it's going to flip the stock market and the bond market. And it's going to be the only asset that everybody's going to own. If you just buy it and never sell it, then you're going to be rich. This is exactly what you would expect them to be saying if their goal is to pump up the stock just so they can dump theirs. So just like you have a few shrewd people in GameStop 
who know it's just a game, who know what's going on, and are just trying to make money off of other people's circumstances and, and ignorance. That's exactly what's going on with Bitcoin. And you better understand it. You better figure it out. You know, there's an old poker expression. If you're at the table and you don't know who the patsy is, it's you. Well, if you own Bitcoin and you don't understand that it's just a big bubble, then you're the patsy and you better get out. Otherwise, you're going to be the one left holding the bag.